Welcome, everybody, to the 50th episode of the Maham Khan podcast. If this is your first episode, I mean, first of all, what have you been doing this entire time? Clearly, we've had a few, um, but you're welcome nonetheless. Um, on this podcast, I try and dig into people's philosophies and stories and give you tools to live a more meaningful life, to make some sense of your surroundings and to feel more virtuous and well, maybe not to feel more virtuous, but hopefully so we can be more virtuous, at least to exemplify that um, in conversation. So for this episode, I don't have a guest. Uh, it's just me, myself and I um, and this camera and yourself, wherever you're watching from. But I wanted to share some of the important lessons that I've learned from these 50 episodes, from doing the podcast in the first place, why I started, what's been significant, and also why it's relevant in the current context. Um, with all the things going on at the moment with Joe Rogan, um, the questions around speech, around talking, around what's acceptable, around what's not acceptable, I think that this is actually a pretty important message. Um and maybe not something that you're used to hearing around the way. So I started this podcast last year during the lockdown, second lockdown possibly, and I did it because I felt like there wasn't, the media had become so toxic, so polarized, and there was so much just tribalism and people just, all the shit we're well used to at this point, but it felt like it was really coming to a head and that there was no, almost no sense. No, nobody was aiming for the truth. Nobody was, I didn't see in the media landscape anybody that seemed to be putting together a coherent picture of what people should be doing or what was, what even was going on. Um, so this is my citizen's attempt, I suppose, to be a media outlet. Um, something I'm kind of obsessed with is trying to leverage all of the technologies with like a business model and artistic creativity for like freedom artistic freedom but also independence i think there's um, amazing opportunities at the moment for independent artistry to replace the legacy media that's probably a different podcast though unfortunately but i'm sure we'll get to that um but yeah, started the podcast because I felt like people weren't talking to each other. I felt like there wasn't enough dialogue going on. And I like talking to people. It's something we always did when I was a kid. You know, after dinner, we'd sit around at the table and we'd talk for hours, like three, four or five hours. And that was it. People would drink tea, eat a couple of desserts, and you just talk about everything with no limits. And you learn so much that if there's areas you feel like you can't go into or you can't explore they're areas that remain unknown to you and there might be something in there that you actually need um which kind of takes us into the next point which is why is talking so important um 
why is freedom of speech so important? Why is podcasting so important as a derivative of those things? Or a technologically enhanced version, maybe. Um, to illustrate this point, uh, I'll use the example of Socrates, which is kind of a weird one, but also makes a lot of sense. Socrates basically got killed for talking too much. Um, he was asking really inconvenient questions of the Athenians, um, basically poking holes in their ethical judgments, their moral sensibilities, their culture and beliefs. Um, and he was doing it in a kind way. He thought of himself as a midwife. Uh, his mother was actually a midwife. But he looked at himself as a philosophical midwife. He was helping people give birth to themselves or better ideas. Um, and he was hardy, Socrates. He was tough. His father was a stonemason. Um, he was a warrior. He fought in several wars very bravely. Um, he saved people's lives. He was well-renowned for being, you know, tough enough. And that actually came into play um, when he was put to death. And he was given the option to leave, to go into exile. And he gave some spectacular cheek back to the judge when he basically said, you know, you should give me a pension for what I'm doing. Uh, I should be getting free lunches for life. I shouldn't be getting killed. You should be thanking me. And the Athenian said, no way, man. We're definitely going to kill you. Um, unless you stop doing what you're doing. And Socrates basically said then, according to Plato, um, and, you know, we'll get on to Plato in a second. <laughs> he said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Pretty good motto. Uh, that's why a lot of people think of him as the philosophical martyr. That he died, essentially, for freedom of inquiry. And... Socrates is also the founder of Stoicism, or seen as the godfather of Stoicism. A lot of Stoic teachers, like Epictetus, uh, looked at Socrates as the the ideal sage, or the the father of the movement. He's considered to be the father of Western philosophy as well, which is a uh, pretty dope, um, considering he's been around for two and a half thousand years or whatever. Um, but why is this? You know, why is the unexamined life not worth living? Um, and I think it comes down to something which I've been trying to explain a lot throughout my work and trying to figure out, um, which is what is the fundamental problem? You know, what's the what's the root of this issue that we have to talk about in order to figure it out? And that issue for me, uh, what I've realized through studying attention is that reality is too complicated for any for us to pay attention to all of it. In fact, as John Verveke says, we have to intelligently ignore most of reality in order to pay attention to anything. That might not seem that radical, I suppose, in and of itself. But what it means is that the processes that make us adaptively intelligent, i.e. able to find out what's relevant and zero in on particular information, also make us perennially self-deceptive and self-destructive. Not a great rap. Um, so it's not just that we can't agree on the facts. It's that we fundamentally see different facts. It reminds me of the William Blake quote, you know, as a man is, so he sees. Um, in 2021, 2022 version, as a person sees, so they are. But that issue is that our embodied cognition simplifies reality in the same way that Artificial intelligence runs into the framing problem when they try to make have machines that can make decisions and then they get into combinatorial explosion because one decision leads to another decision leads to another one. You know, I can pay attention to one thing on the desk, but then that thing on the desk has other things in the desk and you can go 
all the way down and down and down until suddenly I can't pay attention to anything. And I can't act then if I can't pay attention to anything. So we have this massive issue at the bottom of being an individual, which is that our heuristics that we use to exist in the world also blind us to a lot of reality and make us permanently self-deceptive. So, you know, how do we get to a an antidote to that problem to the perennial problems of self-destruction and self-deception i think ancient wisdom in general tries to provide solutions to this and socrates being you know the granddaddy of those things probably wouldn't like being called that the great grandfather of philosophy or whatever else um he offers us virtues that we need in this exploit. Things like humility. Um, his canonical phrase, or his popular phrase, you know, um, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. Paradoxical, yes. But actually what he's saying there is that he identifies more with the pursuit of truth than his current knowledge structure. The humility to admit that one is blind is better than being willfully blind. And so in a lot of uh, Socrates' early dialogues, I'm thinking of the one particularly with Menexes. I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, with Menexes where he essentially goes in and he argues with these wise men. And the conclusion he comes to after he was proclaimed to be the wisest by the Oracle of Delphi, which he couldn't really believe and said, you know, there must be some mistake. So he went to these wise men like Menexes and spoke to them. And what he realized was that while they seemed to know as little as he did about these big problems, um, they actually thought that they were wise and that that was actually an inconvenience for them. That was something, that belief actually kept them from getting to the truth. So Socrates saw that he had an advantage in being aware of his own ignorance. And the advantage of being aware of your own ignorance is that you pursue the truth rather than your current knowledge structure. Um, and that's why you can know that you know nothing and why it's actually a virtue. Um, and then there's other things that Socrates taught as well, like you know, not taking offense, but not trying to give offense to people. Um, and that's something I try to bring into the podcast a lot. Um, I don't think that understanding and personal development is a zero-sum game. I think my attitude is win and help win. If other people can develop and I can develop, that's a win-win for everybody. There's no... Your personal growth doesn't take away from the personal growth of another person. In fact, it has a good multiplier effect because you can exemplify particular virtues for other people and offer them a way through the maze and the labyrinth. So I guess this ties in nicely with what I've learned so far. In a podcast, after an hour or two of talking, uh, you really see what's underneath um, the facade or the persona. You'll find out very quickly where your knowledge is insufficient, where you just have a couple of facts lassoed together, and then once you get past those, you realize that there isn't really anything else there and that you actually don't know. Um, it's very easy to see the slogans where you're faking it um, where you're being a phony and you can't really hide um, and that was certainly a revelation for me was more and more realizing how insufficient my knowledge was always 
And that oftentimes what I just ended up doing was just asking questions and trying to probe further into the mystery um, as best I could and to pay attention rather than to try and come with any prepackaged answers or anything that resembled a a sort of um, mathematical equation for the whole thing. That it was more about feeling into yourself and discovering what it was that you had to say internally rather than it was about any kind of external logic. In another way to put that, it was more participatory than it was propositional. The logic was... Well, maybe the logic wasn't. I'm not sure. But... um, And so, yeah, it... Those types of long-form conversations crack the shell. They get past the persona that you have. And the more you have them, the more you have to get into what I've decided to call, and some others call, integrity. Um, Not something I would have expected to have to get into, I suppose. Integrity, for me, is where the things that you say and what you do match up. I've always thought it was very important, but doing the podcast and putting all these things online and saying the things that I believe and exploring them kind of, you have to stand behind it. You can't, I can't be different in every episode. I can't be somebody else. I can't tailor myself to every conversation. Although you do a little bit of that, of course. Um, But ultimately if I was to go like a shapeling or like a changeling or a shapeshifter and transform every time, it would become very obvious to people that I was a fake and that I was a charlatan and that what I was saying were things that I don't believe or that I don't think or that I don't care about. So it's had an amazing effect on my integrity and having to stand behind the things that I say and carry them out, which is something I've been consciously working on for about five or six years now and which has amazingly transformative capabilities if you take it on very seriously. Um, yeah, trying to make your lofty ideals into the philosophy that you practice and occasionally sacrificing the lofty ideals, occasionally refining your practices um, and just trying to get the imagination in line with reality through sacrifice and through courage as well, I suppose. Um, and yeah, coming back to Socrates... Um, I can't remember what his name is again. Ward? Ward? Uh, Farnsworth um, says that the Socratic method ultimately shows us that talking is the ultimate way to think and that this is how Plato does it. If any of you have ever studied Plato or read Plato, you'll know that he generally writes in dialogues. And a lot of people, there's a lot of memes about that, you know, big brain Plato playing himself in chess. Uh, beating all his opponents while he's actually the one playing them. But um, it's something I learned from writing as well, and particularly playwriting, that oftentimes what you do in good writing is that you pit two values against each other um, in a scene, in a larger work, um, and you have essentially an embodied argument. Propaganda is when you pre-decide what the outcome of that argument is. A lot of artwork now, sanctimonious, bollocks, basically, comes with the end prepackaged. So the artists, when they're making it, they haven't changed anything. They weren't trying to learn anything. They weren't trying to make something new. 
Um, they've just taken their opinions and they're going to beat you over the head with them like a stick. And that is a ever-growing pile of absolute garbage uh, art which exists at the moment. But this kind of gets to the crux of what I've learned from podcasting and from these types of long-form conversations. Um, that when you think you have a conversation with yourself in your mind, um, you ask questions, you answer them, you have a multiplicity of inner voices. If you like Freudian psychology, you know, they come from your parents, they come from authority figures, they come from different people you know. Um, there's a whole plethora of these kind of inner drives or characters, archetypes maybe in Jung. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm not trying to make a metaphysical argument here. It's more of a practical one. Um, that to get better at thinking, a big part of it is dialogical. Um and that by entering into these kind of dialogues, um, that you you outsource, you externalize, and you open yourself up to self-correction and self-awareness, which is the beginning of wisdom. Essentially, dialogue is thinking, and good dialogue is good thinking. Um. And when you walk away from these conversations, your internal conversation has gotten a little better. And you can have these skeptical dialogues with yourself. Um, it gives you an, an expanded repertoire of inner, inner content, I suppose, to draw on. Um, you're expanding your inner content. And you can use it for thinking about complex problems and also imagining what other people are like or what other people want. As I was talking about earlier, we're a lot more complicated than we give ourselves credit for. Um, when you start to learn personality neuroscience, uh, personality psychology, you start to realize that different personalities aren't just different. They actually see the world very differently. One example of this would be orderliness. You know, there's no objective standard of what a clean bathtub is. A person who's low in orderliness would see a bathtub and say, oh, yeah, it looks great. A person who's high in orderliness would see a bathtub and go, oh, my God, this is a disaster. Um, it's still the same bathtub, but different people and different personalities. And we're really struggling with that in the media age. We're struggling with the fact that we see the world differently to other people. And some people are trying to dominate and turn the whole world into seeing things the way they see it. And I feel that temptation myself. Um, it's definitely the drive to totalitarianism that exists in us, in all of us, in me, in you. Just a way to try and simplify the situation. But ultimately, that, that would be an absolute disaster. Um, and so that comes back to the humility which is that you need to have the humility to say, I am self-deceptive, I am self-destructive, I don't know everything. There are massive blind spots. Uh, the systems I use to perceive reality also make me biased to a particular reality. I always think that's funny that people always talk about the implicit bias or the, you know, the that you categorize people unconsciously and it's really much worse than that um much much worse <laughs> it, we categorize everything that way um not just people or not just you know according to those standards we categorize the world that we see is very much dependent on who we are um and transformations of character and mind are necessary to see the world differently not just more learning uh not just more facts and that's a difficult process. 
But I think conversation, honest conversation, dialogue, courage and truth, um, authenticity, um, trading one truth for another into greater intimacy. I think that's what love is, which is also an interesting revelation. And you can't do it with everybody. I Sometimes I run into conversations and I just can't get there. I can't, maybe because of me, maybe because of the situation. I don't know. But when it goes well, you get this kind of, what's called the logos, you know, when two are gathered in my name, I will be present. The third kind of force that is like a flow state um, that feels very meaningful. Things start to be spontaneous, to start to come about of themselves. And that conversation is one place to get in touch with it. Um, And one place you can find it. And there are many ways to the top of the mountain, but open dialogue is one that has to be there just isn't there's no way for us to be able to think or solve the problems we have without it um so the socratic method and open dialogue is a discipline for the mind and a path toward wisdom um even if we can't ever really attain wisdom or have it ultimately the pursuit of it as socrates says when he says i know that i know nothing um the humility to say that we need wisdom and that we should search for it might just be the beginning of what we're looking for. But, so I hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, there's going to be more episodes. There's going to be more stuff. So follow along on Spotify, subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Instagram. That's the main account, man underscore McCann. Plenty more cool interviews coming and... We're going to keep having these conversations. So I hope you keep tuning in. Boat.